Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Do you ever think about how far you've come personally um, over the last couple of years, or is that not really your nature to look back like that? Yeah, um, it's, it's not the time for me to reflect on that because I'm not done. We know we know it's going to be loud, uh, you know, um, but no stadium is as loud as ours. But at, at the end of the day, you know, they're at home, NFC Championship, they're going to be all riled up. And, you know, it don't, it don't really too much. We don't really too, too much feed into all that. You know, we put the pads on and just go to work. What is it about that Bengals offense that maybe impresses you the most? You played Nothing. it a few times? Nothing. Okay. Right. <laughs> lean on your teammates. Stay poised in the noise. And that's just what it's going to be. I just look in everybody's eyes right now, and I can just sense, like, my dogs is ready. Especially come last week, you just look around in the locker room, and you just know that them boys is ready. Here we go. Two days away from the conference championships. NFC, then AFC, two hours to get you ready for that, plus catch you up on everything else happening in the National Football League. The show is PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel. Learn more at googlestore.com. Hello to our audience. Watching live on Peacock, listening live on Sirius XM 85, watching live on Sky Sports NFL in the UK and in Ireland and podcast wherever you may be. Peter King here with us. Peter, how you feeling today as we get closer to finding out who the Super Bowl participants will be? You know, let's play ball, Mike. I, I think, I mean, I wrote in my column this week that this is the first time in a long time that I could make a case, a believable case, not a phony case, not a stony case, that uh, that every one of those four teams can win the Super Bowl. And I, I would be convinced on each one. Like, which is the team right now, Mike, least likely to win the Super Bowl of these four? I, I mean, maybe San Francisco? May, who knows? I mean, but I watched San Francisco last week. They won a knockdown, dragout game 
against a team with a really good defense, and they were very opportunistic on defense and good enough on offense. And and I I just I think I could make a good case on every single one, including the one with Mr. Relevant playing quarterback. Yeah, the 49ers are two and a half point underdogs. That's the biggest margin of the two games. And they're the team that I had at number one for the final few weeks of the power rankings. They're the best team in the NFL, but they're going into Philadelphia with Brock Purdy at quarterback, his most daunting road game yet. He's only played two road games during this period of time that he's become the starting quarterback for the 49ers, and this will be the biggest test for him. Both games should be great. Hopefully that means they will be great and not deliver blowouts that end up being completely uninteresting. And by the way, I'm not letting your Tony uh, Tony Case or Stony Case reference get by. You know he played for as many arena football league teams as he played for NFL teams. That's my fun fact of the day regarding the third-round pick from 1995 out of New Mexico, the Odessa, Texas native who played at Permian. Wasn't that one of the Friday Night Lights schools? That was Odessa Permian. There we go. See, you never know what you're going to find out. But, Peter, Peter, that news is far more relevant to football fandom than some of the stuff Sims and I were talking about yesterday. Two of the things that we learned about Sims yesterday, if you weren't watching and you should be glad you weren't, number one, he brushes his teeth in the shower. In the shower, he brushes his teeth. And two, when he's at home, he sits when he pees. We know these things now. Well, the shower thing is downright weird. Why would you shower? Why would you brush your teeth in the shower? And also, Mike, Mike, hey, Mike, does that mean that Chris Sims only brushes once a day? And if so, how does he have the nicest white teeth of anyone in the history of television? Tell me that, Mike Florio. Well, Investigate that, Mr. Pro Football Talk. I don't know how many times per day he showers. See, that's the key. Maybe he showers after every meal and when he gets up in the morning. We don't know these things, but we'll find out. That's a little ridiculous. Next week. All right, we'll be talking about AFC and NFC Championship coming up, but we have to start with the fact that nearly three weeks in to the full-speed spinning of the coaching carousel in one city, it has stopped Not on Steve Wilkes, not on Sean Payton, not on Kellen Moore, but on Frank Reich. Fired nine games in to the 2022 season as coach of the Colts. A job he took on a surprise basis in 2018 after Josh McDaniels jilted Jim Irsay and bailed on Matt Eberflus, who had taken the job as defensive coordinator under the assumption it was going to be McDaniels. In comes Reich. Then Reich has revolving door of quarterback, does the best he can under tough circumstances. He's got a four-year deal that's expected to be finalized on Monday, and he actually was the starting quarterback for the first game in Panthers history in 1995. He was 0-3 as the starter for that expansion team. Peter, I'm not shocked it happened because yesterday it was starting to point in that direction. There still was kind of a suddenness to the Panthers being the first team to do it. I'd been watching the Broncos as maybe the first team to make a decision, and maybe they have, and they're just waiting for D'Amico Ryans. How surprised were you that Wright got that job? At the beginning of this process, I would have been quite surprised that Frank Wright got one of the five jobs. 
But as the process played on, you could see pretty simply that the Carolina Panthers wanted the first offensive coach, head coach in franchise history. And I think the reason is that they have an owner. This Look, a lot's going to be made of the fact that Steve Wilkes didn't get the job, and rightfully so. He took a bad team, traded its worst player, and then he went 6-6 six and six down the stretch and almost won a bad division. So I understand that. Um, my feeling is that this owner was highly, highly partial to an offensive head coach because he is tired, even though it hasn't been that long. He's tired of not having a quarterback and every year having the exact same problem. Who's going to play quarterback? Who's our long-term quarterback? Who's going to coach the quarterback? And so that, to me, is what really ended up making this decision. Who was going to be the best? And you saw that, I think it was Tom Pelissero who wrote that it was actually Kellen Moore who finished second uh, and not Steve Wilkes. And so if that's the case, indeed, that's the case, it's clear. You know, you had a guy in-house on your team that had the respect of this franchise who didn't get the job because the owner and I I would assume general manager Scott Fitterer as well, uh, wanted a guy who could develop a quarterback and coach the quarterbacks. Now, keep this in mind, that they've got the ninth pick in the draft, and I don't know how the quarterbacks are going to fall. Nine is a little low unless you want to get the third or fourth quarterback in this draft. So the Panthers clearly could move. And and keep in mind also that, to me, I think this is a very good situation for a young quarterback to walk into for this reason, that Sam Darnold finished the year respectfully and had a, uh, had a decent end of season. He can play for a while while the uh, quarterback of the future you know, basically earns his stripes and and gets ready to go. So it looks like that's what this team wants to do. And look, one other thing I would say, Frank Reich had a different starting quarterback on opening day of all five years that he coached the Indianapolis Colts. He's used to, uh, you know, a grab bag at quarterback. So I think those are the things that probably stood, uh, you know, that made him, uh, you know, a sensible choice for David Tepper and Scott Fitterer. And he had a different starting quarterback when he was offensive coordinator the year before he became the Colts head coach. That was Carson Wentz. And he ended up injured and they won the Super Bowl in Philly with Nick Foles. So he's very adept at being flexible and creative and adaptive when it comes to quarterbacks. But I agree with you. I think he would like to get away from this revolving door of veterans. I don't think it's going to be Matt Ryan. I don't think it's going to be Carson Wentz. I definitely know it won't be Phillip Rivers, although there is. If it was if it was closer to the Phillip Rivers expiration date, it would be fascinating to have the guy who went to NC State playing in North Carolina. But quarterback is going to be key. That's something David Tepper has been trying to do. He has swung and missed on multiple occasions for high-end veteran quarterbacks who just didn't want to go there. They had Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, and they do have the youngster who was drafted in round three last year, who I interviewed before the draft, and whose name currently escapes me. 
But he's on the roster. Matt well Corral. On track for three more years. Matt that's, Corral. That's How Chris Sims' – sorry, Matt. That's Chris Sims's favorite quarterback in the draft last year. And we've kind of just he forgotten He also him. brushes his teeth in the shower. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, a quarterback is going to be key. It's key for every team. And this is going to be a crazy year. I have resisted to the best of my ability – talking about most of the quarterbacks who are going to be in this game of musical chairs, other than the ones that make us money, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. But, Peter, this is going to be the nuttiest year ever of quarterback movement from a veteran standpoint. So many guys with expiring contracts who are going to be available. Then you throw in Lamar Jackson, who's going to be available to somebody who wants to give up the draft capital if the Ravens will accept it and can't work out a deal with him. So, a lot of moving parts, a lot of possibilities for Frank Reich. And the best news for the Panthers is Frank Reich has proven he can work with whoever ends up being the quarterback on his roster and or the backup if that's the case. Now, you said something earlier about reporting, suggestions, ideas that Callum Moore came in number two. Joe Person of The Athletic, who's covered the Panthers for years, has pushed back against that and said there, there was no pecking order behind Frank Reich. And, and maybe that is what the Panthers are trying to get out there in advance of the storm yeah. that is definitely coming. And, folks, the storm is coming. Steve Wilkes, I firmly believe, and it doesn't take – a keen ability to read between the lines of the statement that was issued by Doug Wigdor, the lawyer who represents Brian Flores, Ray Horton, and Steve Wilkes in their landmark racial discrimination case against the NFL. Minutes after Frank Reich became the head coach of the Panthers and Steve Wilkes didn't, a very scathing statement was issued on behalf of Wilkes by Doug Wigdor that makes it clear to me that Wilkes is going to take action through Wigdor against David Tepper and the Panthers. We are shocked and disturbed that after the incredible job, and that's the word that David Tepper used, if he does an incredible job, he'll be in consideration. The incredible job Coach Wilkes did as the interim coach, including bringing the team back into playoff contention and garnering the support of the players and fans that he was passed over for the head coach position by David Tepper. The statement goes on to say that there is a legitimate race problem in the NFL, and we can assure you that we will have more to say in the coming days. More to say in the coming days, and it will be said in the form of 8.5 by 11-inch paper with 12-point font. Times New Roman is the standard in the legal industry, and it will be joining the Carolina Panthers to the litigation that includes... The NFL, the Dolphins, the Texans, the Broncos, the Giants, the Titans, the Cardinals, the Panthers are now going to be part of that. With the argument being, Peter, that Steve Wilkes was passed over for two reasons. And they'll figure it all out in the discovery process. Reason one, because he's black. Reason two, because he has sued club oligarch. Because he's a troublemaker. He's undesirable. It's retaliation. And there's so many people out there that think that's okay. Well, why, why would you want to hire somebody who sued you? Yeah, that's part of the legal protection for the people who stand up for themselves. You can't smack them down because you don't like the fact that they're standing up for themselves. It makes it even more important to give someone like that a fair shake so you don't create the impression that you just are shunning someone who is costing your little billionaire's club money. 
Those are going to be the two arguments I firmly believe. And in the coming days, we will find out more. I think the one, I think the biggest argument that Steve Wilkes has is that this was a forlorn team. This was a team on the way to two and 15. You know, this was a team that, uh, that Steve Wilkes took over uh, five or six weeks into the season and basically made respectable. And, and right away, he, he did stuff that really uh, marked the kind of tenure he was going to have. And that is when he basically told Scotty Anderson to uh, uh, go in the locker room when he was, you know, being insubordinate on the sidelines. And so to or Robbie Anderson, excuse me. Um, and so I think he did exactly what you would want to do. And I mean, look, <clears throat> there you could easily argue that he should have gotten the job, definitely deserved the job. And I think the defense by the Panthers is going to be very, very simple. You know, we wanted a guy to develop a quarterback so that we will get off this go-round of misery that we have been on at quarterback since Cam basically since soon after Cam Newton's MVP year, whatever. You know, that was 2015. The next couple of years, everything was fine. But then after that, they've just been, you know, running around in circles trying to fix their quarterback situation. So to me, that's going to be their defense. And, you know, look, it's a it's an ugly situation for the league without any question that Steve Wilkes didn't get this job. And it's going to come down to, uh, I think, any sort of legal action in this case is going to come down to what is provable. And I think it's going to be hard to prove anything other than same old NFL. So I, I don't know what kind of relief they're going to be able to get for it, Mike. You would have a much better idea about that than I would. These cases are always incredibly difficult to prove. I spent hours and hours and hours, weeks, months, years, fighting on behalf of individuals who had lost their jobs for reasons that they and I believed were in violation of the various federal, state, and local laws that provide protection against discrimination, retaliation for a wide variety. We know about race, gender, age, religion, etc., but there are certain protections that apply to someone who works in an industry where it's very important that you do things the right way because the stuff you're making goes into, for example, jet engines. And if somebody's not doing the job right and somebody else says something and they get in trouble over that and lose their job over that, they have protection. And the problem in all those cases is proving it because nobody ever gets on the witness stand and says, you got me. I did it. I ordered the code red. You have to prove the case through circumstantial evidence, and you have to also aggressively question the decision makers. So, Peter, the antenna that went up for me, and I don't want to turn this into a two-hour continuing legal education class, but I want people to understand how this works. My antenna went up when you said their best defense is they want an offensive coach to develop the quarterback that they are determined to get. Because when David Tepper was asked on October 10 about Steve Wilkes potentially keeping the job, he didn't say, well, you know, one of the factors will be 
do we want an offensive coach to develop a quarterback? Is that what we decide to do? That will be a relevant factor. He didn't say that. What he said was, as to Steve Wilkes, he's in a position to be in consideration for that position. I had a talk with Steve. No promises were made. But if he does an incredible job, he has to be in consideration. Now, you get into parsing of words. You get into back and forth. But that's just an example. David Tepper, at some point, who has the money and the power in his own personal realm to submit to no authority other than his own, he's going to have to be Colonel Nathan Jessup on that witness stand. While Tom Cruise says, I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. You're damn right I did. That's going to play out for David Tepper at some point, Peter. Regardless of how it goes, he's going to get a ticket to that party. You know what he didn't say? He didn't say, if he does an incredible job, I'm giving him the head coaching job. I, know. I believe his that's, words well, were, as you what, just quoted, I know. if he does an incredible job, he'll be in consideration for the job. Right? Is that... And well, wasn't he in consideration you're right. for that, the but job? That's, he, he, well, what, but was he in consideration? See, that's th- this thing devolves into uh, he said, she said, who's telling the truth, who's not telling the truth, how can you otherwise undermine a witness's credibility so you can say to the jury, why are you believing him when he says this? Why are we believing anything these people say? That's where it all becomes very interesting, very expensive, and very dangerous for the NFL. And it all hinges on the threshold matter that nearly a year after the case was filed still hasn't been resolved, Peter, And it's the most important question in the entire case. Where is it going to be resolved? Is it going to be resolved in open court where it's a completely fair balance for both sides? Or is it going to end up in arbitration presided over by the NFL? Something I refer to, I'm sure, to the chagrin of 345 Park Avenue as the league's secret rigged kangaroo court. And I call it that because that's exactly what it is. When the person who is hired and paid by the 32 owners is the one resolving these disputes where claims are being made against the people who are paying the commissioner. Kind of hard to get a fair shake if you're the individual who, and and just this conversation we're having illustrates how difficult it is for the individual to push back against whatever narrative the team is going to put forward. When the commissioner who's on the payroll of the teams is the one making the decision, he's going to be inclined to listen to them and accept their version of it. Let me ask you this question. So if this does go to open court, which gives Steve Wilkes and uh, and his attorneys obviously a much better opportunity, how would this what would be what would be the case of Steve Wilkes when arguing that uh, going six and six in this scenario and taking a bad team and nearly winning the division should be and and should be enough to keep the job, and therefore it should be enforced that they should be forced to keep me or to pay. It's it's going to be too late by then, but the, it's going to be too late then. But. How much damages should they pay? I mean, what is going to be his best case? Well, there's two ways to look at it. And one becomes very difficult 
to get your arms around and thus to get the jury's brain around the idea that Steve Wilkes was the better option than Frank Reich. And it's one thing to convince the jury that they would have hired Steve Wilkes and anyone objectively looking at this would have hired Steve Wilkes. The easier approach, not that it's easy, but a lot of times what you do is you delve into the question, Peter, of whether it was all rigged from the get-go, whether or not Steve Wilkes actually got fair consideration, whether or not the fix was in. And that's why something that we pointed out last night that seems very trivial and seems very irrelevant on the surface is going to become a major focus of discovery once this case goes forward, if it ever goes forward. Because, again, we're nearly a year in, and we don't know where in the hell it's going to go forward. That's an example of how slowly these things go. But the fact that Frank Reich's daughter announced within 90 minutes after the season ended, after the last game was played this year, after Steve Wilkes' interim gig concluded, Frank Reich's daughter announced she was taking a job and had taken a job with the team. I guarantee you that Doug Wigdor and his colleagues will be aggressively exploring who knew what and when, what decisions were made when, when did they know, when did she know, when did Frank Reich know, when did the Panthers know that Frank Reich was going to be the head coach, and is there any connection between that hire from January 8th, or at least that's when it was announced, that's when it was announced, 90 minutes after the season ended, how long before that did she know she had that job, why did she not announce it sooner? What's going on behind the curtain? That's where you need very skilled and aggressive and creative lawyers to get to the truth because there's a possibility, possibility, they knew damn well Frank Reich was going to be the head coach before his daughter posted that tweet and that it was all prearranged. It's possible. I'm not saying it happened, but it gives the lawyers something they can sink their teeth into. And if you could just blow up one of those issues, and I've been there, I've done that, you get one issue. And you make the employer look like they are completely full of crap on that one issue. Everything else flows your way. Because if you can't believe them on one issue, what can you believe them on? So that's going to become, and I feel bad about saying that, and I'm not trying to make it a nepotism thing because hell, nepotism is rife in the NFL. This is about had they already predetermined Frank Reich was going to be the coach before they even got into the interviews. And if that's the case, it doesn't matter whether we're balancing Frank Reich versus Kellen Moore versus Steve Wilkes versus anybody else. They already knew they were hiring Frank Reich. And that's, isn't that the problem that's really at the core of this? Owners coming into these processes already having their mind made up. So these interviews are shams. That's one of the big themes of this case. Sham interviews of black candidates all aimed at checking the box on the Rooney rule. So that's why that's going to be an important issue. And that's separate from saying you should have hired Steve Wilkes instead of Frank Reich. That is, you knew all along you were hiring Frank Reich, and you never gave Steve Wilkes fair consideration. It's a different point, and it's a much stronger point on behalf of Wilkes. This might sound a little bit like spy versus spy, Mike. You know, that, uh, you know, because you think this, I think this, and I only think this because I think you think this all that kind of stuff. But on the surface, you would say, this is a horrible look, you know, with a team that is probably going to get sued over this hire, that this is a horrible look 
for this team, for this franchise, without any question. And it is a bad look. But it is such an obviously bad look that if the fix was in, would would his daughter have ever even thought to do this? Uh, or, or, do you know what I'm saying? It, it's 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 such a terrible look that to me, no smart person would ever say, "Hey, I'm going to celebrate my new job," and in two weeks or three weeks. My dad's going to be the coach of this team. And, and I, you know, I don't know. I agree with you. It's a really bad look. And if there is something there, that's really bad, obviously. And it deserves to be looked into, investigated and all that. But I will be surprised if there was, if, if basically the fix was in. That's, that's all I'm saying. Well, Peter, I lived in that world for 19 years, and nothing surprised me because once you start questioning someone under oath, once you brainstorm the questions, and you've always struck me as somebody who would have been a very good lawyer, but you should be very glad that you weren't. The day that I got out of it, because I'm not even sure I'd be alive right now, frankly. It wears you out. It wears you down mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally. You're fighting all the time with somebody. You're fighting with 30 people at once in all the different cases you're handling. My point is this, though. They will delve into who knew what and when, who said what and when. Was she authorized to make that tweet when she did? Just 90 minutes on a Sunday after the Panthers season ended against the New Orleans Saints. Was that authorized? Was there communication? Did she go rogue? What do the emails say? What do the text messages say? What were the conversations? It takes a ton of work to get to the truth. It's exhausting to get to the truth because the truth is so easily concealed by people who have that wink nod understanding that when the crap hits the fan, they're going to deny, deny, deny what they don't realize. And what people who haven't practiced law don't realize is all that stuff they said is going to come back. All those text messages are going to come back. All those emails are going to come back. And just the mere fact that there was any type of coordination or strategizing as to, well, maybe you should hold off. Just don't. Maybe she got the job in December. Eh, Just hold off on announcing it until the season's over. Just wait until the season's over. Then 90 minutes after the season's over, she announces it. It's just the point is. There, there, there is an entire universe of questions and arguments and witnesses and facts and documents, and it is exhausting, time-consuming work. And you're just looking for that one needle in that giant haystack that may or may not even be there. You find that one needle and it changes everything. That's why yesterday's development, the news or the, the, the finding that the, that tweet had been posted right after the season ended, it just becomes something that a competent lawyer is going to spend a lot of time drilling down on because that's where the needle in the haystack may be hiding. And and look, I th- there's no question now that this is going to be a case and it's, you know, it's only a matter of time. And and I t- I think the larger issue now is look, you know, I just think overall Mike that you know, the NFL's biggest problem now is that they've said time and again that, you know, the people who do the best job, that this needs to be a meritocracy. 
you know, the coach hiring system needs to be a meritocracy. Steve Wilkes came into a nearly impossible situation and he turned it around and he went six and six with, you know, with, with a lot of the talent stripped away, most notably Christian McCaffrey. And so having done all that, I think you really have to ask yourself the question, is it really a meritocracy when a guy who gets the job on a bad team and does a really good job, then doesn't get a job on that team, and it appears he's not going to get one of the four or however many more jobs there are that open. Uh, He's not going to get one of those jobs either. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. But I think this brings inordinate pressure on the remaining four teams now that if they go 0 for 4, uh, there is going to be heck to pay, both legally and I think with the players across this league, that there's going to be outrage if there is a, a shutout of uh, minority head coaches in this cycle. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, The threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. And Wilkes hasn't even been mentioned as a candidate for any of the other four jobs, Peter. Broncos, Colts, Because it's Texas, so late, Cardinals, isn't it? Well... Yeah. Well, well, it is like, but I'm just saying the name hasn't even come up. It hasn't even come up. Right. The Colts have interviewed everybody. I'm surprised you didn't get an invitation to interview for the Colts head coaching job. I mean, they've interviewed everyone, and they didn't interview Steve Wilkes. His name has hey, never come up. What would you up. think, and it's by never the way? Been, well, yeah. I was going to say, what would you Go think, ahead. by the way, if you're Louis Anarumo watching this process, having nothing to do with the topic we're talking about right now? But that, to me, is, is, a, is a ridiculous outrage. But you're right. I mean, he wasn't mentioned for any of the other jobs. Why is that? Um, you know, if I were Indianapolis, I certainly would have wanted to, to talk to Steve Wilkes and Louie Anarumo, quite frankly. Sims and I were talking about Anarumo's failure to even be mentioned, and it gets back to a point that I first heard you make a couple of years ago, and I didn't like it at first. As time has gone by, I've come to embrace it. 
moratorium on everything until after the Super Bowl. Because really, just like the AP Awards, where they announced the finalists this week, it's based on regular season. The list of coaching candidates is based on regular season. And and so as all of this stuff is happening and the interviews are occurring and coaches are proving their value in playoff games, it's like that doesn't count. That's how the Colts got Frank Reich in the first place. They never considered Frank Reich. Then there's this masterful run with Nick Foles at quarterback to win the Super Bowl and beat the big bad Patriots and take down Tom Brady and Josh McDaniels. <laughs> jilts the Colts, and then all of a sudden the clouds part and the sun shines through and Jim Ursay realizes, maybe I should talk to Frank Reich. So if all of this was delayed until after the Super Bowl, maybe Lou Anaruma would be one of the first guys that these teams called. It's just weird how it happens. Now, now, regardless, they could have explored Steve Wilkes. We could have heard, well, teams are waiting until Steve Wilkes does or doesn't get the Panthers job to interview him, but none of that happened. None of that occurred. And Peter... Those teams may get a ticket to the party, too, because the argument may be, why didn't you interview Steve Wilkes? Why did, or did you not interview him because he's a troublemaker? Because he has a claim against the Arizona Cardinals? It's a very powerful weapon for these plaintiffs to use, because I think it's easier to prove retaliation than it is to prove discrimination, because I think the average person can better understand why someone would look differently at someone who decided to cause a lot of expense, cause a lot of angst, Bad PR by daring to stand up to the shield. I never thought a case like that would be filed because I thought if you do it as a practical matter, you're giving up your career. And Steve Wilkes may have given up his career because he didn't get an interview with any of the other jobs and he didn't get the job where he'd come in and went six and six in 12 games. Now, before we move on to the comings and goings or not of Sean Payton, there's a bridge between Wilkes and Payton, and that is Brian Flores. One of the first things I thought of when I saw Doug Wigdor's statement yesterday, making it clear he's going to sue the Panthers for not keeping Steve Wilkes. Well, Wigdor represents Brian Flores, who was the first guy in the pool before Steve Wilkes and Ray Horton joined him. And Flores is under consideration with the Cardinals. Peter, that statement is a warning shot at Arizona. That if you don't hire Brian Flores, you're going to be the next one to face a claim that you didn't hire him because he has a lawsuit pending against the NFL because he started all of this. And yeah, hey, they interviewed him at least. The others didn't. At least they interviewed him. But it's one of those where the closer you get your hand to the flame, the more likely you're going to get burned. And unless they hire someone like Sean Payton, you know, if it's Frank Reich versus Brian Flores in Arizona, for example, it's a much tougher sell that you didn't hire Brian Flores because of the fact that he's the guy that pulled the pin on this grenade that potentially is going to blow up 345 Park Avenue. Look, I don't know what Arizona is going to do about the head coaching job. And obviously, you know, they spent a lot of time yesterday with Sean Payton. But the interesting thing to me is Sean Payton is of a mind right now that obviously he has to create a new coaching staff. And he has always been of a mind because, you know, really going back to, what, 2013, there's no love lost between him and Roger Goodell, that Sean Payton would have no problem hiring Brian Flores as his defensive coordinator. Now, 
I'm not saying that he would. I'm, he may have somebody in mind right now. He may, whoever, maybe Vic Fangio. I, I, who knows? But my point is that Sean Payton is not going to be afraid of doing that because he's not buddy-buddy with people in the league office going back 10 years. I think the one other thing to think about when you think about um, Brian Flores and his future, you know, the one thing you heard from Pittsburgh this year, people in Pittsburgh loved Brian Flores. You know why? Came to work every day, did his job, didn't say anything, didn't, wasn't, uh, you know, I'm suing these bleepity bleeps. It was nothing. That was not at all a part of his life, his ethos. Uh, and he did his job. And the ste- people, not that the people on the Steelers thought he was going to be carrying signs about this or anything like that, but there was a lot of, uh, you know, what I was told during the year is that they were very, very impressed with his approach and how he did his job and how he improved that Pittsburgh defense during the course of the year. So there's little doubt in my mind that Brian Flores, wherever it is, Minnesota, Arizona, wherever, uh, is a great candidate to be a defensive coordinator. Well, but he's also a candidate to be the head coach of the Cardinals. That's where the problem comes in for Michael Bidwell. He's already interviewed him to be the head coach. And unless you hire Sean Payton, which would I think objectively for most of us say, okay, you're the one that got Sean Payton. I get it. I get it. I understand why you didn't hire Brian Flores. You hired the Super Bowl winning coach that four teams were trying to get or at least were interested in enough to interview. I understand why you'd hire him if you could get him over Brian Flores. But if you don't hire Payton, if it's Flores versus any of the other usual suspects and you pick one of the other usual suspects, that's where it becomes harder for Michael Bidwell to to defend himself against the inevitable claim. My point is this. The Wigdor statement from yesterday as it relates to Wilkes and the Panthers applies equally to the Cardinals if they don't hire Flores. And it also applies to the Broncos, the Colts, the Panthers, and the Texans for not even interviewing him. I mean, he was a finalist for the Texans' job last year before they went off the board and hired Lovey Smith. Well, they interviewed Jonathan Gannon, one of the other finalists, again this year. Where's Flores? Well, uh, Flores sued them. And, and again, I know the average person who, who hasn't really thought this through would think, well, why would they want that guy around? You need to have the ability to separate someone's willingness to stand up and say you are doing something wrong from whether or not you would want to employ them in the future. And everything you're saying about Brian Flores proves that there is a way to compartmentalize. Taking a stand over what's right versus doing your job every day. And just the mere fact that we, we kind of accept that this is the way the NFL would operate, that it would hold a grudge against someone who dares to stand up to Big Shield, That's a problem in and of itself. The fact that we think that's plausible, that that's probably what they would do, shows you how badly in need of change the NFL currently is, Peter. Look, you know, the bottom line in this, this, Mike, is that you can tell it's championship weekend. We've spent the first 40 minutes on the show talking about this. This is a headache for the NFL. 
It's a major, major headache for the NFL. It's got to be solved. And I think the only reason that it can be solved in this particular case is for one or more of these jobs right now to be filled by minority candidates. And I realize nobody wants to hear about quota, quota, quota. I get it. Well, you know, if there had been ultimate fairness in the years leading up to this, then maybe we wouldn't be hearing about this all the time. And Peter, it's funny that you articulate that because while we were doing this and while we were trying to explain this, and these are difficult subjects, and you're right, the NFL benefits from the bright, shiny object dynamic where there's always something else that people would rather talk about. There's always something else that people would rather hear about. And I'm sitting here saying, God, how many emails am I going to have from people saying, I can't believe two days before conference championship. I don't know who I'm trying to be there. I can't believe two days before conference championship Sunday, you're talking about all this other stuff. Well, it's important, number one, And number two, I guarantee you, Peter, there ain't no other show out there, including the one being played on the House Network this morning, that's spending the time we are drilling down on these issues so people understand that there's a problem in the NFL that needs to be fixed. And it's only getting worse as this litigation is pending. And the men who had the courage to stand up to the oligarchs are being shunned are not being properly considered based on merit, but because they're viewed subtly but unmistakably as troublemakers. That's why we're spending the time talking about it. Also, we spent like an hour and a half yesterday talking about the games. We did a full-hour podcast. I'm sure Peter's talked about it on his podcast. This is important, and this is where it takes discipline and will on our part to be willing to focus on this because it's not easy to talk about it. These are difficult issues. So anyway, that's where we are. I'll give you one last chance to add anything you may want to add, Peter, before we talk a little bit about what's going on with Sean Payton. Go. The only thing I would add is that I think the one thing that the league has done over the last three or four years is devote incredible resources to this issue. I was on a conference call a week or so ago um, with diversity office, two diversity officers in the league, I don't know either one of them, but just listening to them uh, talking about all the incredible resources they have and, and uh, you know, the, the databases with all these candidates and resumes and what people are saying about them and all that. And Mike, I listened to that for maybe 45 minutes, hung up the phone. I was walking Chuck, in fact, and I just listened to the, to the thing and and I, 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 was, I was just walking along here in Brooklyn, and I just said to myself, you know, I think this is good to do, good to emphasize, I get it, and all that, but it's up to 32 people to repair this. You know, it's not up to, uh, you know, the news media to be sort of convinced, hey, look at all the great stuff we're doing. It isn't that. It's up to 32 people and or 32 ownership groups. It's up to 32 ownership groups to fix this, period. Until they fix it, you know, there can be all sorts of sabers rattled. I mean, a year ago at this time, literally almost exactly a year ago, Troy Vincent almost started crying on the phone with me talking about 
how desperately he wanted to fix this issue. So, but, but the point is, and I, got, I felt the same way when I got off the phone with him. I said, hey, good luck. But I felt the same way. It's up to 32 people. 32. Talk to them. Stress it with them. And I know the league has. I know the league has. But time and again, if the results uh, do not change, then guys like Douglas Wigdor are going to have at it. And I think there's a lot of people out here that are going to wish him very, very well. And the bottom line is, frankly, I don't want your propaganda. I want action. And we're only getting action through the results of men who are brave and selfless and ultimately willing to sacrifice their careers or experience a cap on whatever they're going to achieve because they're viewed differently for standing up for what's right and trying to force change. No amount of change is going to flow from 345 Park Avenue. The change here is going to come from somebody wearing a black robe and banging a gavel when a verdict is entered. That's going to be the change. That's going to be the moment that things finally go the other way. And that's why they're trying so damn hard to get this case out of court. Think about that. We just accept it. Oh, they want to they take advantage of their contractual rights to arbitrate under the auspices of the commissioner. Yeah, they want to rig the system in their favor so they don't face their reckoning. They don't want that reckoning because that reckoning is going to be expensive enough to force them to change. All right, we have to change to Sean Payton. And let's keep this brief, although I have a feeling it's going to be difficult to do it. This kind of bubbled up yesterday at a time when there's been this momentum pushing toward Sean Payton's going to stay at Fox for another year. There isn't going to be a spot for him. You know, I've heard that the general managers who are in place with these teams are concerned about losing their authority, being undermined by a guy who's coming in and taking over, and he wants a lot of money, and the Saints want draft picks. So in the midst of all that, Mark Maskey of the Washington Post reports that there was some sort of an issue, some sort of a concern that Payton had. And there's the tweet. There was an issue with Peyton's interview with the Broncos. Peyton likes the idea of coaching Russell Wilson and having that defense, but fears a potential power struggle with a member of the ownership group, source says. Peyton responded by saying zero truth to this. We had a great visit, and Broncos' ownership was fantastic. It was just such a weird curveball from Maskey. Peter, you and I know what Maskey's beat usually is. This seemed like something that... He, why would he even know? How would he even know? Yeah, what Peyton wouldn't be leaking this. Where is this even coming from? Didn't that strike you as odd when this turd just dropped into the punch bowl out of nowhere? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, look, Mike, I, I don't really cover this stuff much anymore. So I don't dig down very deep. But I happen to have a conversation with Sean Payton. Um, after he talked to the Broncos. Uh, and I basically asked him, and I said, look, we're, we were, I, I said, let's just talk off the record. So I, I, can't, I can't really characterize, you know, what the discussion was other than to say, I, <laughs> I got the very strong impression that he really liked <laughs> those people. You know, he liked Greg Penner and Condoleezza Rice and... Uh, and and George Payton, I I didn't hear anything negative like that. So I I can't. That's all I can say. Maybe he's telling me one thing, telling somebody else something else. I don't know. I kind of doubt it, but I don't know that. But all I'm saying is that my that tweet did surprise me. 
because I had I had talked to him and look, I have a lot of respect for Mark Maskey. But I it's not anything that I knew, but I have to emphasize I'm not covering this on a granular basis at all. So I don't know how where that comes from. I just know that that surprised me. I'm going to make three points as quickly and briefly as I can. Number one, Peyton's overall interests benefit in no way, shape, or form from him being the person saying these things. You keep that to yourself because you want to have maximum options. You don't want to scare the Broncos away by putting out there that you've got concerns about a power struggle with a member of ownership. Second, guess who wins a power struggle between an owner and a coach? Gee, hmm, I wonder who the person who owns the team or the person who works for the team. So it, it, it didn't make sense to me that you'd be concerned. It's a power struggle. There is no power struggle. It's rock, paper, scissors, and the owner always wins. Third, Peter, and this is the kind of area where I get myself into trouble from time to time, but it hasn't stopped me in 21 years with other reporters and our colleagues in the industry, and they don't like me because I'll say these things. Maskey's beat is not the Broncos. Maskey's beat is the commanders and league issues. And you said something earlier that ties back together. Sean Payton is persona non grata at 345 Park Avenue. And I know I'm not supposed to guess on whose people's sources are. But when you got a guy who's constantly reporting on league matters, all of a sudden, with this thing that takes a flamethrower to Sean Payton's chances in Denver at a time when we know the league would just as soon him not be the bell of the ball, kind of makes me wonder where Maskey may have gotten that one from. Maybe a two can I say two one area Can I just say number. one other thing? And I know we don't want to, you know, go over this and whatever. I mean, I we can go over whatever we want. But my point is that I thought going into this whole process that there were two jobs that really fit Sean Payton well. One was Denver because Russell Wilson wants someone he can really respect as a coach and wants somebody who can help turn him around. And I think he would be willing, because I think Sean Payton is just my gut feeling. I think he would take away a lot of the bells and whistles that separated uh, Russell Wilson from the average Joe on the Denver Broncos. Okay, And, and I do think that Wilson would have been okay with it. I also think that obviously we know this, Mike, there's approximately five coaches in the NFL who make 15 million or more per year, okay? So it's gonna take, one of the reasons why when I look at Sean Payton in Arizona, I say is Michael Bidwill really gonna pay a coach? Owing his old coach all the while? Is he really going to pay a head coach in that in that league? I, I I have my doubts. I have my doubts. But I will say that to me, that isn't going to be a problem if Denver likes Sean Payton. That's not going to be a problem. And apparently, they're not going to hire him from what has been reported since last night. But the other team, honestly, was Houston. Because, and for one very simple reason, that they have the second pick in the draft, they can turn to Sean Payton and say, 
pick any quarterback you want and invent greatness right here. Here's your opportunity. You know, we'll give you whatever, a six-year con, whatever it is. And then after having one coach each of the last two years, Peyton is going to look for all of the insurance that he can that he's not going to be one or two in done in Houston. So those are the two places that to me make the most sense. I have no idea if he's going to get one of these two. It's starting to look like he's not going to, but let's see what happens. And Houston would be great because it would be like New Orleans 2.0. You go into a team that has no legacy of winning. They've got a smattering of playoff appearances, but obviously not nothing even seriously close to a Super Bowl. Peyton could go in there and become basically a guy where you've got two cities that love you forever, not one, if you could turn around the Texans. All right, we've spent a lot of time talking about these issues. They are important issues. They really are. And we appreciate that you've taken the time to listen to this because if you care about the game, you care about what's good for the game and what's right for the game. And the things that have been going on that led to the Brian Flores lawsuit are not good for the league. They're not good for the game. And you can love football but still have serious reservations about how the people in charge of the sport are running it. And it does come back to those 32 owners. And all of the talk over the past 30 years still has not resulted in the kind of change that is necessary. And this pending lawsuit is the thing that could, and it got stronger yesterday with the Panthers' decision to hire Frank Reich over Steve Wilkes. Let's take a break. We will spend probably the rest of the show talking about the AFC and NFC championship games coming up on Sunday. We'll focus on Joe Burrow's ability, if he has it, to continue to dominate the Chiefs when PFT Live continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Is this house a good price compared to others in the area? Are prices going up or down? If I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask. And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a Realtor can help answer. Because Realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's what Realtors do, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.